Hello and welcome. This is your host, Jonathan Morgan, and you're listening to Design Everywhere, the podcast that invites you to ask, what if, and challenges you to understand the why that drives design. This is the second part of a conversation I had with Eric Dahl. So Eric is an interaction designer, UX designer, information architect, ultra marathoner, and co-founder of Midwest UX Conference. Welcome back, Eric. Hey, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. So in our first conversation, we focused on the topic of practice, you know, what it means to us, how it benefits us, how we do it. This time around, we're going to focus on a couple other topics that are kind of coupled together that we're both really interested in. We started talking about it early on and uh, really wanted to get back to this one. And the topics are systems and modeling. So maybe a good Way to kick it off, Eric. Would you maybe go over like a little overview of the topics themselves and you know what they are and why they are of interest? These topics are hard to sort of pull apart um, and to sort of understand them if we're not, because for me, they're sort of foundationally ingrained in how I do my design work. So when we talk about systems, in my mind, we're talking about sort of systems thinking, right? And, and trying to understand how these complex systems interrelate and work and influence each other. So that's one. And then when we talk about modeling, when you're trying to understand systems, you have to do a sort of round of modeling, right? Or or a process of modeling to try to understand that. And so modeling is just a representation of the world in some way, right? It could be maps. People might be familiar with journey maps or things like that. But it's some sort of visual representation of the world so that you can start to manipulate. And as you create these models, you start to sort of see the world in a different way. And you can sort of think of things differently and your sort of mental perception changes. And then you redo the model to sort of highlight what you what your new learnings are. Right. And so you have this idea of systems that we'll explore, I think, a little bit and then modeling And then I think something similar to modeling would be frameworks, right? So maybe established models you could call a framework. Um, And frameworks are super powerful because it's sort of, it's a shortcut into a modeling world. You don't have to create a bespoke model for yourself. You can use this framework that someone else has used to try to help understand something that you're doing, right? And so when we talk about systems and modeling, particularly in the design world, a lot of the, it's about trying to achieve a level of understanding of this sort of complex system, but then also uh, the modeling of these systems help understand what the levers are that we can pull to make changes to that world, right? So how does our design, as we put our design into this system, how might it affect change, right? How might things react to it? Uh, and, and so it, it gets sort of complicated, but I think we can try to explore and, uh, and talk about some of these issues. Yeah, just the the concept of systems and systems it is it's broad. I mean, it's like as we look at it it's really about a way of understanding, taking perspective and understanding context in a greater, I guess, view. So, it's interesting. I was reading a couple of things and and there's this little bit of a trend of people talking about like moving from user-centered design to system-centered design. Mm-hmm. And where user-centered design, you know, where we we can sometimes get caught up in the user and a, a more and thinking of that as a more constrained or smaller unit. But sometimes we lose track of what are these other systems, what are these other forces that go into that experience? Kind of expanding out from like a typical user-centered design. Yeah. So Danelle Meadows, who has a book, it's, I have it somewhere here in my office, but not right in front of me. But she defines systems as a, a system is a set of elements 
or parts that is coherently organized and interconnected into a pattern or structure that produces a characteristic set of behaviors often classified as its function or purpose, right? And so you, that starts to break down what, are, what a system is, right? So a system has parts and those parts have states um, that are internal and they have boundaries, right, between different parts. So what's the relationship between one part and another part? And then those things exhibit behaviors. They have a particular set of actions. And for those of us that are interaction designers, those actions and behaviors are things that are foundational to our practice. And then the thing that's interesting about systems is that it's not just a linear A has a relation to B, but it's A has a relation to B, has a relation to C, that then also has a relation back to A. And so you start to have these loops of interactions that happen, um, typically known as feedback loops, right? And there's a couple different kinds of feedback loops. You have reinforcing feedback loops that if you do one thing that results in another thing, that will result in more of the first thing, right? And so you just have these increasing feedback loops. And then you have something else that's called balancing loops, right? And so if you increase one, that's going to then do something to then decrease the first thing. So you, they sort of come into equilibrium or, or, or decrease the, the first one. So you have this sort of balancing effect. And so this is really hard to do sort of on uh, just an audio discussion. It's much easier when we start to get into modeling and systems to be able to have diagrams to represent these. Otherwise, it's hard to get your head around. But we can talk through some of the, some of the basics, I think, today. And isn't that really the purpose of it anyways, is about making very complex things understandable, digestible. I mean, systems thinking to me almost seems like a, it is part of thinking. It's like, as you're doing it, a modeling helps you manifest that thinking and get it into something that you don't just have to always kind of churn in your head on how these things all connect together. So it's, it is a way in itself to think and outsource thinking. Yeah, for sure. And so like, I don't remember if I talked last time, but I've been teaching an intro to interaction design class for the Copenhagen Institute of Interaction Design. And in that intro class, we use a set of frameworks developed by Bill Verplank to try to get students to try to understand the foundations of interaction design, right? And it's all about this feedback loop of sort of what do we do? How do we interact with the world? And then how does the world then respond or the system that we're designing, how does that system respond and give us feedback? And then how does that change our internal understanding? And how does that change what we then understand about the system and our relationship to it so that we can do something else to it, right? So you have this, just these iterations of feedback loops that you do something to the world or to a system or to an artifact, and then that artifact then responds in some way. And so it's really foundational to this idea of interaction design is this idea of understanding feedback loops and understanding how then you can create artifacts that have appropriate feedback loops that drive towards the behaviors that you want. And I think one of the things that's interesting about systems is that you often get unintended consequences. And that's because these systems are interacting in different ways and you have these different reinforcing feedback loops or balancing feedback loops that then will respond. And so as designers, when we're designing these systems, we have to start to map out what are these unintended consequences or what are the if someone takes an action, what's going to happen to the system and how is it going to respond? And, and then what might result in that, right? You have to sort of play through these scenarios so that you don't end up with these sort of massive, horrific, unintended consequences where you design a system that you think is like safe and harmless, but then gets used for nefarious purposes, or maybe not even intentionally, right? Unintentionally causes harm 
because of what it's doing. I think there's a case in the, the sort of media recently uh, around some UI designs with one of the online trading apps where they could easily misunderstand some of the financial information. And people then, I think someone committed suicide because they thought they owed a bunch of money, right? And then uh, they didn't actually, but they didn't understand how the system worked. And so they were given information that they misinterpreted, right? And so th that's definitely an unintended consequence of the design of, of that system. And so when we start to do this modeling and sort of exploring these systems, we can start to play out what might be some of these unintended consequences that we might want to leverage for good or to make sure that we're designing so that they, they don't happen. As you're dipping into modeling in this, is the modeling really a way of documenting the system, visualizing the system, or is it a process? Is it the thing or the process? It's both, right? I mean, you model, which is a form of sense making and understanding. And then the model becomes an artifact in the world that you can reflect on or you can share with others. And so there's process to going through and modeling. And it's different for different types of models that you're creating, right? But there's, there's a process of going through and of what's the sort of substrate of the model. So if you're talking in tacticals around modeling, Models that happen in a space, right? And that space has to have some meaning. That's what I think is different between a good and a bad model is that the relationships of objects, if you start to create a model, right? You see this with a, like a two by two grid, right? It's a very simple model, but those axes have meaning. And where you put an object on those axes in that sort of grid has semantic meaning so that you could start to make sense of how does this, what does this mean in the world? And then also what does it mean to the other objects in this system or in this model? So that's, I mean, there's one, like a, one of the models that I really like and I've been using lately comes from sort of an evolution from game design. And it's uh, Amy Jo Kim is how I was introduced to it. Um, I think she modified it slightly from an older model, but she calls it the social act action matrix. And so that's, um, you have on the vertical axis action at the top and then interacting. So acting versus interacting. And then on the horizontal axis, you have people versus content. And so depending on where people, if people are sort of acting on content, then they're expressing. If people are interacting on content, then they're exploring, right? If they're, if they're acting on people, then they're competing versus if they're interacting with people, then they're collaborating. And it's helped me, I've used that several times on the last couple of projects of trying to understand the different types of users and how they're engaging with the system that we're creating. And that's been super helpful. But again, that's where a model then becomes a framework that you can use in different contexts. Systems thinking and systems design, you know, kind of thinking of like one is like the action of kind of sense making, the other one is kind of bringing it together and fitting within that system. It seems very... I was going to use the word volatile. It's dynamic, but it probably is volatile also. There's constant inputs, constant outputs, you know, the things in motion and whatever you're creating. If you look at systems at varying distances, you could have a very minuscule role in that system, or you could have a very big role depending on your level of focus. I think that's a great point. And that's one of the difficult things as someone that's maybe not used to doing modeling, right, or, or creating system models, right, and sort of thinking in systems is that it gets maddeningly overwhelming very quickly, right? And so one of the arts of modeling is that you intentionally have to leave things out, right? You can't model the whole world. It's way too complex, right? And so you have to figure out what's the right level of fidelity and, and what are you going to leave in and what are you going to leave out? 
And that's hard, right? And there's not any sort of hard and fast rules about what's the right level of fidelity because it's what are the questions that you're trying to understand um, and what's the story that you're trying to tell. And so that's definitely a, a difficulty when we try to start to introduce modeling to people of like how deep do you go at what level of fidelity or what what level of abstraction do you show but the the sort of criteria that i use when i think about it in sort of abstract is you want to be able to see enough of the system that you can get sort of a high level view and understanding without looking at the details you can see the major objects in the system and you can see sort of how they relate and interrelate so you sort of get a sense of the whole but then you can start to dig into some of the details, right? You're not going to go into all the details because you might have then multiple systems maps sort of, you can say, okay, we're going to look at this one node and now you can break that node out into a whole other map, right? Or a whole other model trying to represent what's happening within that particular black box, right? Or that particular object or node. And so you, you want to be able to say, can I get enough details to understand what are all the moving parts? And then can I get enough, like a big enough representation that I can understand how does all fit together? So I sort of get at a glance kind of view of, of what the system looks like. As you were talking through that, I was kind of thinking of even just going into a project. So working on a new project and trying to make sense of everything that's going on. I feel that if you take a systems thinking type approach, it's more of kind of a strategic approach. I think you're looking at the entire battlefield. You're looking at the board game risk and not at the people shooting on the front lines. You know, kind of looking at that and trying to kind of make sense of the pieces and parts before you dig too deeply into any one piece. And that's like, I can see these things visually in my head as I talk through it. And that's where I think the power of once you start to really start thinking like a systems thinker, you can start to see that materialize. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, modeling is typically one of the first things that I do when I started a project, right? I was working with a a team and they had the sort of motto of process, right? Of you observe, you model, and then you align. And it's, you have some sort of observation, right? You have, you're taking in some data, whether you're doing formal research or you're just saying, based on my experience in the world or based on discussions I've had with stakeholders, you're, you're doing something, right? You're taking data from the world and then you're modeling it in some way. You're creating some representation of that to put back out into the world. And so then as we do, like when you're starting a project and you're doing some sort of modeling, for me, it's an act of sense-making. How can I try to understand all of the moving parts that I'm trying to deal with? But also then how can I show that to the people that I'm working with, right? My collaborators or other stakeholders so they can say, oh no, that's not right. And then we can use that model as essentially a sandbox to start to start to see what are the assumptions that we're making or where are the holes that we're missing or... Uh, maybe there's some part of the model that's a bit of a black box and we need to figure out how can we unpack that, whether it's doing some formal research or talking to other stakeholders that are involved with the project. But it's a great sort of boundary object to have discussions around what you're doing. And models are there and they're not perfect. They're just saying that models are, are as useful as they are until they break, right? A model is never going to be a perfect representation of the world. It's always going to have some shortcoming because it's an abstraction, right? And so there's always going to be nuances or details where the, the model is not quite going to work correctly. I like that. I, the bounding object, too. The way I see that is like you get something, you get it to a certain point, And before you go down that rabbit hole, that's put it in front of people, see how they can fill out that piece of it. Because, I mean, I I know you're in somewhat of the same position as me. You work on different projects, different clients. You can't be an expert in everything. You just have to be good at creating those higher level understanding 
so that you can strategically work with the right people within there. And I, I think, you know, looking at modeling, there's all these things, everything's interconnected. And I think about even like organizations, like until mm-hmm. you really start to, to map out an organization, half the time they don't even know how everything is interconnected themselves. To me, this kind of digging in through those lenses and filling out that model collectively as kind of a living document is interesting. I mean, I think it gets everybody invested in it too, in that system. Absolutely. Like I said before, I think, you know, models can be used for your own sense making, right? But then definitely as a collective collaborative tool to help people sort of build a shared understanding, but then also they can, you can use these models to then tell a story. Um, And and, and I'm thinking back to a model that we created. This was, I don't know, it's what, 15 years ago now that we were doing some early e-commerce work for a retailer. We were trying to understand what's the shopping experience. And I think that the interesting thing about a model is that it can tell multiple stories at one time. And right. So we had these five different personas that were sort of ranked on horizontally on a spectrum from analytical to emotional. And then they were mapped against a sort of shopping process of where they spent their time within these different uh, shopping events. And then could also within that model show where they were actually making their purchase decision, right? And so you had all of these different aspects in one single visual representation. So you could tell a story about how people approach a shopping experience in different ways and how they're trying to evaluate and make decisions and what information they need to actually make that decision. But that was all, it started just with a sense-making exercise for our team to, as we were processing all of the interviews that we'd done to try to make sense of how do these people make sense of the world and how do these people make their decisions? And as the model evolved, it became a storytelling tool because then we could use that to show the clients and tell the clients what these these differences were, but then they use the model to give to their third-party vendors that were building sort of widgets for their website so they could use it as a a way to understand who they were designing for and what they needed to achieve as they were creating these different components for their the e-commerce experience. And so this model was created for one purpose and then evolved to be used uh, for a different thing over the course of the project. I like that example because I've done a fair amount of work in e-commerce too. And depending on who the client is, they may have a brick and mortar presence. They may not, you know, might be purely e-commerce. I think what's great about modeling and like kind of looking at the entire system is nine times out of 10, you're going to find all kind of other things happening outside of your control and outside of even your the, the boundaries of the goal that they were trying to achieve through whatever that project or whatever. So you're finding all these touch points all over the place. Did you find that in that type of scenario where or were you kind of solely focused on what goes on in in the digital realm? Yeah, for that particular one, we were just scoped to what was happening in this digital shopping experience and that was the focus of that particular project. So the, again, that's the focus of that model was just on that. Do you see that it opens you up past those narrower channels like the channel that you're working in right now like, you know, I'm working in e-commerce like at any point, do you start to look, okay, we need to bring, take a step back from this model, take a binoculars level view rather than a microscope level view? Yeah. I mean, for the example of the project that we were just wrapping up, modeling w- was sort of involved in every phase of the project. And in that one, again, the scope was narrow, but to really understand people's perspectives coming in, 
to it, we had to look at the entire ecosystem, right? And try to understand how do all of these different major objects within the system relate to each other, even though we weren't designing the whole system, right? But we have to understand how all these parts relate so that we know what the influences are and we know sort of what the broader context is as people are coming in to engage with the very small part of the system that we were designing. So yeah, I think you can use modeling not just to sort of understand the part that you're doing, but naturally you have to look at a broader context and the models can, particularly systems models can can help you do that. My experience, just like working across a number of different industries, medical is really, really complicated. You can basically get tripped up really fast at the worst possible time mm-hmm. if you don't kind of understand what that, how that system works. And it's an impossible system to understand in every context. So I've really found a lot of benefit from modeling in that space in particular, just to get my head around what I know and what I don't know. I think that's a really good point, particularly, but in talking about sort of practice, this idea of making versus sort of evaluating. And I think sometimes when we're talking about these complex systems, you have to spend just a short amount of time making a model so that you can try to make this sort of very abstract and very complicated set of objects and assets and attributes tangible in some way so that you know where you're making assumptions and where you're not. And then you can show that to other people so that you can more quickly get corrected on, on is your understanding of reality correct or, or close enough that you can start then moving into actually designing solutions, right? So this modeling, it starts in this just defining the problem space before you even get into solutioning. And so you, you can correct yourself, I think, particularly in these complex systems that are involved in the medical industry early on before you even get into solutions. And you can get everyone on the same page that we're all talking about the same problem. We're all talking about the same set of things before we start building something or making solutions that are based on faulty assumptions. So it's a great modeling can be a great way to expose and uh, evaluate assumptions that we're making before we get into doing the design and solution type work. Good example of that is I was working with something for, it's in medical, but it's for schools. And it wasn't until like just getting into this project and just trying to understand the different actors within it, you know, who all is involved and what it kind of comes down to when you're looking at a school nurse is not just about like these things that they're doing and the interactions that are taking place in context, but it's all this regulatory stuff. It's compliance with the state and with different guidelines. And it wasn't until I created this conceptual model of how all of this information flows, you know, all the way down to a student, all the way up to the state and federal government, that I found out that they don't play by the same rules as regular hospitals, because your students don't have the you know, kids under 18 don't have the same rights of data rights as, you know, adults with theirs. So it's a different set of roles. So as soon as you find that out, it's like, I'm not an expert in that. No one I know who is a regulatory expert is an expert in that. So we need to find an expert in that. So like, it just became this thing that I could visually put it up there. And it took a while of saying, we need an expert in this FERPA. It was called instead of HIPAA, it's FERPA. We need an expert in FERPA. And this is why, and that only went so far. And then I kind of showed this model. It's like, look at all the information flowing this way. If it gets caught up in here, that's when people get in trouble. So that was when it really kind of stuck with people. And they were, you know, we were, we were able to get someone else in that wasn't us 
that could, could answer those questions. But I, I thought that was kind of a relevant story to tell on that because it, sometimes it's just like you just have to see it. You have to see how everything works together in the simplest form as you can. That's absolutely true. I was working on a project last year trying to help a company with a connected device and they were trying to take it to market and I was helping them with their go-to-market strategy. And it wasn't just the product, right? There was a whole sort of service that this was wrapped around this product that people had to get their heads around and and you had to explain. And so as I was trying to make sense of it for myself, I, again, created a model so that I could understand how these parts related. And when I showed it to my client collaborators, they were like, oh, I had no idea that these things were all connected. And I had no idea that this world over here, of they needed essentially needed to address a whole world of content creation that, that wasn't even on their radar until we put it down in tangible form and put it in a model. And then we could sit there shoulder to shoulder and look at it together and talk through what was going on and how important these different parts were. Yeah, they didn't even see it, right? Until we put it into a model. So they, these things can be immensely valuable, one for your own understanding, but also for the success of the team that you aren't sort of moving forward without having uh, seen all these blind spots. So I'm, I'm curious for you, like your personal style, when you feel the need, like, okay, I want to, I'm going to create a model of this. It needs this. What's your process? Do you have like a, a go-to way to approach things? I'm, I'm sure it, it varies. Yeah, I mean, I think it varies depending on the thing, but I think foundationally, it often comes down to if I'm just trying to model a, a system or trying to model a, a information space, the first things I always do are what are all the nouns in the system, right? What are the objects that we're dealing with? And then what are all of the verbs in the system? What are the actions and behaviors that are happening? And then what are all the attributes, right, of these different objects? And a lot of times you'll get a ton of objects that are in the system. But you can you can start to sort of weed those down. And sometimes objects are really just attributes of other objects. Right. And so the goal is to try to reduce it down to the least number of objects that you can get to sort of wholly define the system and understand what are those actions that are being taken. And you can do this. I was just reading a book uh, I'm blanking on the name, so I apologize for that. But uh, he calls it information grammar. Right, which is sort of defining all of these objects and, and actions in a system and the attributes that, that are in play. Um, and you use that as a foundation to then start your interaction design work. I didn't have that name for it, right? But that's, the, that's what I've been doing. That's how I was trained 20 years ago when I started doing this. But it's really just understanding what are the objects in the system and how do those things relate to each other? And if you can start there, that's the foundation on which I think all this modeling builds, right? So again, go back to that observe, model and then align. So you have to have some data source, whether it's your own observations or interviews or something, right? Collect that data, try to make sense of it by gathering the, the nouns and verbs and then the, the attributes, the adjectives, and then put it in some tangible form and then show it to other people, right? Look at it yourself, reflect on it, show it to other people, get feedback. And it's really, I mean, it's that simple, but it's also you know immensely complicated as you start to get into it. This is a lot to drop on people in 30 minutes, right? So if you were to, you know, so someone's listening to this and they, they want to learn more about it, do you have any suggestions? Like this, starting with uh, systems thinking, any recommendations of, you know, outside of just the, a Google search? There's, a, I mean, there's a couple of books you can start. I mean, I think Danella Meadows, Thinking in Systems is, it's not new, but it's a classic, right? I think that that's a great place to start. There's another name for system thinking, which I think is cybernetics. Is that right? But that's another thing that if you're just doing Google searches, you can start to look at that. 
The Fifth Discipline is also sort of, again, another sort of foundational book in systems thinking. And then it starts to get in like, okay, well, what do you, what do you want to do in terms of like, how technical do you want to start to get? And what do you want to understand? And you can go in a lot of different directions. I also, I've been doing, in my work, I've been trying to do a lot more reading and research into game design and how can we pull in things from game design and lessons from game design into my interaction design practice. And so that's where, while it's not systems thinking, Amy Jo Kim has a great book called Game Thinking, which I would highly recommend. And then there's a book called Advanced Game Design by Michael Sellers. And he's really taking a look at game design, but from a systems thinking approach, right? And so he breaks down very sort of clearly what is systems thinking, but then how do you start to apply the systems thinking approach to game design, which I think is a great resource for anyone trying to understand systems thinking in context of the a design practice. Even if you're not designing games, I think there's a lot you can pull out of that. So that's one I would, I would recommend as well. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with me again today. I appreciate it. Two for two. I enjoy both. (laughs) Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Design Everywhere. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. We have a lot more episodes in the works and there might be some in the archives that you haven't heard just yet. And if you can give us a rating or review, we would love to hear what you think can follow the show on Twitter. Just search for Design Everywhere Podcast. That's at design underscore every. You can also follow me, Jonathan Morgan, at Promo Rock. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. I'm your host, Jonathan Morgan, and this is Design Everywhere. Thanks for listening. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business, when you need it, from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.